Everybody, beautiful day in February, isn't it? It's gorgeous out there. If you're a penguin, it's a little chilly. Hi to everybody online. Hi to everybody in Alma and in Mount Pleasant. Lovely to be together. Welcome to week three of this series we're looking at here, uh, Two Faced, where we are asking like such a critical question because I know that you have bumped into this before. And it is this question. Is there any possibility that I am that stick up my back, judgmental, I'm in the club, but they're not, I've got my holy act together, wouldn't it be nice if you were as good as me, exclusive, finger-pointing, judgmental, nice on the outside, but you scratch the surface and it ain't pretty type of Christian. And the reason why it's so critical is because, first of all, nobody thinks it's them, and yet everybody knows somebody who's like that. And secondly, you think of the beauty of the faith, how incredible the local church is, everything that is wonderful about the person of Jesus Christ, and we can become a repellent to the gospel. What a critical question. And of course, the thinking is, Oh, I can't wait for you to preach this sermon because I bet you it fits for somebody else that I know. Probably a first sign that it might be for you. Well, last week we looked at a passage of scripture where Jesus was addressing a crowd. And in amongst the crowd, there was a group of what I just described 60 seconds ago. And they were called Pharisees. The religious leaders that everybody looked up to and sort of, you know, wow, these guys have their act together. We should respect them and listen to them, do what we're told. And they're in amongst the group. But the truth of the matter is they were, they were just blind guides. They were filled with judgmentalism and exclusivity. They were filled, riddled with pride. And Jesus called them on the carpet. And not only that, he did it in front of everybody. And actually... That's exactly where we're going to stay. So we looked at a passage of scripture that was pretty pointed. And it's been a week for us, but Jesus in this passage, he's just drawing breath. And he's going to actually keep going in this conversation in front of a group of people of whom in the middle of that group are these Pharisees saying things to them and about them that no one would dare ever, ever say. So this passage of scripture I'm going to read is quite a few verses here. This is the closest that you're ever going to see to Jesus beating a piñata. And those of you who have this box for Jesus Christ and you're like, oh, Jesus, meek and mild. Check this out. It's Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You actually can count the amount of times he's going to say this. For you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. That's a convert. Okay, to get somebody to convert to Judaism. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Wow. Woe to you, blind guides. Who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that made the gold sacred. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if you swear by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by the oath. You blind men. 
for which is greater. The gift on the altar that makes the gift sacred. What is he talking about here? They are picking away at minutiae within the law. And they are creating within rules, within rules, within rules, these picky little sayings and details. And they're causing everyone, they're dredging them through the sands of their critical minutiae. And he's like, what are you talking about in these little tiny details? You're ruining people. It goes on. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it, and by him who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. He's not done. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now he's going to talk about a thing called tithing. And this is where people uh, give to God. So tithing specifically means when you give 10% of your income and you give it to God. But this goes beyond financial for these guys. And you'll see he's going to start talking about plants and herbs here. And they're literally going to cut off little corners of leaves and plants to say, I'm giving my sort of pickety little 10%. Look at what he says. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guys, guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. This is very colorful language here. Rules around eating and regulations, what you shouldn't eat. And they're being so pickety around, you know, I'd eat this, but I wouldn't eat that. And he's like, yeah, but at the same time, you're swallowing an elephant. That's what he's kind of saying to them. Why are you doing that? It doesn't add up. He's not done. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Remember, they're standing right in front of them. Nobody talks to them like this. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. And you've seen this before. Somebody who has this plastic image. Look at me. I've got my act together. Don't I look well today? But if you actually get to know them, it's actually ugly what's going on inside of them. It's nothing more than managing their appearance. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This is my favorite insult. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. How's your meek and mild Jesus going for you right now? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You build the tombs for the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had... So he's going to refer to something in the the past where the nation of Israel had killed the prophets. The prophet came, spoke the words of God, and and didn't want to hear it, so what did they do? They killed them. He says... You say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father, you serpents. Look at this. You brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that you may 
uh, come all the righteous blood shed on earth for the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Holy moly, heavy stuff. And then you get this little bit of tenderness at the end. And it is very tender. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. The irony here is who's speaking? Jesus, the one who will be stoned, crucified, executed, betrayed. How often I would gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you're not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, Father, we pray right now that you would help us to understand your word. Lord, it seems so sharp, so cutting. And we invite you, Lord, to penetrate our own lives, our minds, and our thinking about ourselves, our self-understanding. We believe that your word is the entrance of light and truth into our hearts. And so we pray, Lord that you would come and speak to us. We suspect that you have something specific to say to every one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Serious bit of scripture, yeah? Serious little few verses. And last week we did. We looked, we looked at 12 verses that were equally uncomfortable. And Jesus, in front of this crowd, sort of singles out these Pharisees. And he picks out the way that they liked to dress, the way they talked, the seats of honor that they wanted, the titles that they flaunted. And although it has been a week for us, this was all spoken at once when Jesus laid down these verses. He has not stopped. It is like Jesus is hitting a nail with a hammer and he's just hitting it again and again and again until it's going to go all the way in. And I can just imagine the people listening to this and sort of swaying under the weight and the authority of the Son of God speaking such hard, hard and difficult words. This message matters. It really does matter for me. It really does matter for you. But the tendency, as I've already mentioned, is to think that this is a message for somebody else. This is for us, amen? Church, this is for you. This is for me. We need this word because it is the word of God. Jesus is bending over backwards to communicate that there is another kingdom entirely. A kingdom of light. He is relentlessly talking about it. Telling stories about it. Inviting people into it. Inviting people into a new kingdom. This is his mission. This is why he has come. This is why his death, what his death and his resurrection are making possible. And he's making every effort to make this clear for you and I today. Today, he wants you to know one singular thing. I'm going to state it in these three words. Religion doesn't work. If you leave with anything today, I want you to hear this loud and clear. Religion doesn't work. Now, I want to tell you what I mean by the word religion. I want to give definition to it. Everything that you do, everything that I do, to make myself better without Jesus. That's my version of religion, and it's your version of religion. Everything that I do to make myself better so that I can get myself to God. And it never, ever, 
ever works. That's religion. We take God's truth, we twist it, we reshape it, we put it in a man-shaped box, and then we say, that looks right, it looks holy, it looks kind of Bible-like, I will make myself a slave to what I put into that box. And then we enforce that onto other people. And that's what these Pharisees were doing, blind guides. Church, religion does not work. You can call it any name you want, but you're not going to find anywhere in the Bible where it says Lutherans go to heaven, Catholics go to heaven, Presbyterians go to heaven. It does not say it in the Bible. Methodists and Baptists, it doesn't even say that Christians go to heaven. It doesn't say that in the Bible. Religion doesn't work. It cannot save you. It cannot help you. It cannot transform you. And it doesn't make you better. When I read these few verses initially, I'm like, wow, this is strong, Jesus. My goodness. Like, what are you doing here? Are you just bashing leaders? Jesus, this, it feels a little out of sync with so much of what I read about you elsewhere in the Bible. Is that what this is? Jesus, are you just beating up these, you know, leaders? They're just trying their best. Aren't we supposed to be nice? Aren't we all supposed to be nice, loving people to Christians and even to non-Christians? Of course we're supposed to be nice. I'll tell you what Jesus is doing. Jesus is doing something of what a shepherd would do. Jesus is doing something of what a parent would do. So if, if somebody comes and misleads my child and brings destruction upon my child, as a parent, it is absolutely called upon me, it is mandated upon me to step in and to protect my child. That is the right thing to do. You don't mess with my child. Jesus is the chief shepherd. In the Old Testament, we would see these under shepherds. They were called the prophets. In the New Testament, we see pastors, elders. I look at even like community groups in our church. I see so many people leading community groups. You are shepherding this church. You are caring and protecting this church. And here's why, because the scripture tells us that there are wolves. And wolves want to come into the church with their own agenda. Their one agenda is to move people away from God. They will come with the wrong doctrine, with a wrong emphasis. They will come usually with fear and rules and control and guilt. And they wrap that in a packaging called religion. And it looks right. It seems right. It seems like it's full of holy rules, and so we ought to listen to that. The emphasis here is not that Jesus doesn't love the wolf. The emphasis in the Scripture is that Jesus loves the sheep. And so he speaks very strongly. In Jesus' ministry, we actually see multiple occasions where Jesus is interacting with Pharisees, but it's not this strong. Multiple occasions where he's having conversations and he's answering their questions and he's being compassionate and patient with them and loving towards them and helping them and explaining them and speaking truth and life to them. Even in the context of the fact that 99% of the time they were trying to publicly humiliate him and yet Jesus would take that time to be with them. He still loves them, still share truth with them. But in this moment right here in this passage of scripture, Jesus 
turns to them as an Old Testament prophet and he speaks hard truth boldly in front of their faces. And the language is the woe of God, a fear of God, a holy awareness that, listen, Pharisees, what you're saying and what you're doing is destroying my children. How you're acting, God sees that and he's calling you into something better. He's calling you into something different. Again, ask the question, God, is there anything of that in me? Could this be me? Two reasons why, they, why he's calling them to something different. One, they should have known better. They should have known better. They had studied the law, the Old Testament law. And secondly, people like you and me, there's something about us and religion that turns our head. I don't know what it is. There's something about religion that gets your attention. There's something about the, the swish of the robes and the candles. There's something about the smell of incense and stained glass windows and the hush of a cathedral. It moves your head. There's something about a pastor walking into a room or somebody who has the gift of prophecy or somebody who has a deep understanding of the Bible. It turns your head and it gets your attention. There's something about us and religion and it sucks us in. Can you imagine growing up your whole life listening to someone that you thought was holy and wise and right and full of God and you place them on a pedestal and now in this moment Jesus shows up on the scene and in front of everybody he pulls back the curtain and he gives you an understanding and it's almost like, wait a second, you telling me Jesus that there's something different behind this that I didn't understand. It's like this Wizard of Oz moment when it's exposed and Jesus pulls back the curtain and that booming voice that you listened to your whole life that made you quake, that made you think that you needed to do better and you were always wrong and that you needed to be always right and always perfect. In the Old Testament, there's a prophet by the name of Samuel and he's looking for God's man. God has his hand on a particular person. And he calls his prophet to go and find this man. And he goes, I think it's to the house of Jesse, who has many sons. And so interesting how he described, the, the scriptures describe the sons. It says he goes to each of them, and they were tall, and they were young, and they were strong, and they were good-looking. And the inference in scripture is that you would think, this is the man of God. Look at these qualities. And over every one of these sons, Samuel the prophet goes, no. He goes to the next person who seems to really look the part. And the prophet goes, no. Until he finds this rugged boy by the name of David. And he says, this is the man who has a heart for God. Why? Because God does something so differently to you and I. He looks past what we tend to look only at. And that is the outward appearance. And he says, I actually am able to see past all of that. And I'm going to look inside this person. And that is the heart behind religion. Here's what's really going on. Don't deceive yourself. And you see in this passage of scripture, it's like a litany of like, woe, you blind guides, woe to you Pharisees, woe to you scribes, Repet repetition again and again. 
And he begins to address their words and their clothes and their treatment of people and their titles and their need for attention and their giving and their tithe. He just goes after all of it relentlessly. And here's what's funny. We look at that stuff that Jesus is pointing out and exposing. He's pulling back the curtain on it. We look at that stuff and we think, that's not too bad. That's kind of nice stuff, right? I mean, that looks like the way things ought to be. That looks like a good way to live your life. I mean, Jesus, relax. They're not robbing banks, right? They're not killing people. They're not murdering anybody. They're probably giving some money to the poor, right? And they're doing something. They're probably praying some prayers and going to church, probably learning a few Bible verses. It all seems very sincere, doesn't it? And Jesus pulls back the curtain. He says, I want to show you the true heart of religion. And I will attempt to make my words in this moment as strong as Jesus' words in the text. He pulls back the curtain. He says, here's what the heart of religion is. The heart of religion is broken. It is evil. It is destructive. It is wicked. And it is deceitful. Because it keeps people from the kingdom of God. (laughs) Welcome to church, everybody. We having a good time? For years, I used to think it was Jesus and religion. I grew up with a whole lot of religion, and many of you have as well. I wore the robes. I had the, the medals, the ribbons. I had my Mary medals, my Padre Pio medals. My family went to Lourdes. We went to these places, these holy sites, I prayed the prayers. I swung the incense. I did it. And it was shoved down my throat. I went to catechism. I had all of that. Monks and confession and Latin. I did all of that. It never brought me one inch closer to Jesus Christ. None of it. It was dead religion. Man-made religion and guilt and shame. And what you have to dress like. And who sits in what seat? And who's holy and who's not holy? And who's the spiritual person? And who's the unspiritual person? And Jesus looks at it and he says, it's evil. It's not what I come to do. It's not the message of the kingdom of God. That's full of deceit. Because it would seem right to you. This is the deceit. It would seem right to you. It will turn your head. It will say it looks appropriate. It seems sincere. But it's not. It's wicked. Because it keeps people from the kingdom of God. My favorite illustration. His language is so colorful. My favorite insult, he calls them whitewashed tombs. In Numbers, it says, it's an Old Testament book, don't walk on top of people's graves. Do you grow up with that? I grew up with that. My parents, don't walk on top of somebody's graves, and, and you'd walk around the grave. In Numbers, What the scripture is pointing to is actually, I think, something very nice. It's something of honor. That death is not a casual thing. It's not. That death should be viewed and treated with respect. And also in Numbers, it would say then, if you did just walk across people's graves, it said that you would be unclean. You would be ceremonially unclean. And then you would have to go through this ritual and this practice to make yourself clean again. And so as a result of that, what people did was they began to mark the graves. And it was a kind thing. They would get white paint so that it would stand out. 
and they would paint these graves. They didn't want anybody to accidentally walk on a grave and therefore become unclean. And Jesus looks at these Pharisees in front of everybody. He says, I'll tell you what you're like. Everybody looks at you and they think you're religious and they think you're holy and they think that you're close to God. But I'll tell you exactly what you're like. You're just like a whitewashed tomb, a grave. You're spiritually dead. That's what you are in front of everybody. You're dead with all of your rules and all of the trimmings of your religion that looks so pretty on the outside and is so noticeable for everybody else to see. But on the inside, this is what you're like. You're like a rotting dead corpse. That's what you really like. And I can see it. Your titles and your robes and your notoriety and your public reverence. You're dead to God. You're not alive. You're not alive. Furthermore, the people that you're trying to help, all the places that you go to, Remember we talked about this, you know, these missionary trips they would take to win a convert. All the lengths that you go to. Let me tell you what you're doing to those people. When they encounter you, you make them unclean. That's what you do. Jesus is relentless in this sermon. In Luke's account of this, it's the same same content, he's giving these woes, woe to the scribes, woe to the Pharisees, woe to you blind guides, you hypocrites, woe, woe, woe. After about three or four of them, there's this moment of response in, the, in Luke's account of the gospel. One of the Pharisees actually speaks up and says, um, <laughs> this is my imagination a little bit like, uh, Jesus, I'm not sure if you know this, but like that's kind of rude. <laughs> like, we're here, Hello. That's pretty offensive. What you're saying there is not very nice. And he's like looking around at his buddies. He's like, Tom, do you hear this? We're, we're rabbis. Nobody talks to us like this. Joe, I, Joe's upset, Jesus. I think I said, I'll tear. Guys, lads, I got it. I got it. I'm going to say something to Jesus. I'm going to let him know, you know, we're not really enjoying the sermon today. I'll... I'll I'll help, I'll help him out there. Do you know what Jesus' response is in Luke? He, he's like, Jesus, this is kind of rude. And Jesus goes, Woe to you blind guides. He doesn't skip a beat. I'm not going to give that the dignity of an answer. This is how serious I am. I'm not skipping a beat on this. But Jesus... My feelings are hurt. I don't care about your feelings in this moment. I have come to instruct you. And I have come to lead you into truth. I have come to knock you off your perch. I have come to interrupt dead religion. Because religion kills people. It destroys lives. It controls people. And it reduces them to fear and shame and guilt. And it changes nobody. And I'm not giving up on this agenda. It's a fellow in the New Testament. You want to talk about a religious man. This guy was cream of the crop. And he actually writes out for us his, his resume. This is what he says. I was the Hebrew of all Hebrews. He says, I'm from the best tribe of Israel. My spiritual heritage 
is the best. Better than everybody else. Condescending. He says, I'm the real deal. When it comes to the law, there's nobody. There's nobody who knows more about the law than me. There's nobody who has greater passion for the law than I do. I have studied the law. In fact, I studied the law under the best, the preeminent rabbi. I sat at his feet and I was his number one student, the most learned. And he's listing off all of his accomplishments, all of his rules, all of his extremities that he went to to be right with God. Here it is. He's flaunting them in front of us. And he wraps it all up. And this is what he says. He says, I consider all of that, my heritage, my passion, my superior knowledge, my Jewishness, my rule keeping, my rule enforcing. He says, here's what I consider it. Some of your translations would say this. I consider this rubbish. The actual translation is dung, poop. I just said that in a sermon. (laughs) That's what it actually says. So I'm not trying to be crass here because this is what the text says. You know when you flush the toilet, that's what's going on here. That's what he's actually talking about. So the next time you're out for a walk and you see what some dog has left behind that their owner didn't pick up, I want you to look at that and I want you to say, that's how God feels about my efforts to get to him without Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's poop. It's dung. It stinks. All of that. I want you to know how God feels about it. It is repulsive. It's the stuff you flush down a toilet. The labels, the names, the title, my ministry. Look at me. Don't I look the part? I know more than you. I'm looking down my nose at you. The condemnation, the shame, the fear, the rule, enforcement, the finger pointing, all of it. And God says it's dumb. It's human waste. It's toxic to you. And you want to know what we do? <laughs> it's crazy what we do. Here's what we do. We get all of our religious stuff. Do you know, and you know what it is now, right? And we elevate it. And we look at everybody and you say, my pile of poop is better than your pile of poop. <laughs> this is what we do. Do you see the color of my? (laughs) I have the biggest pile of my. It's bigger than your. This is what we do. This is what we do. We flaunt it in front of people. This is what God thinks about religion. Aren't you so glad you came to church today? (laughs) And here's what we say it doesn't matter. It's fine. I mean, they're just people trying their best. They're sincere, right? They're just being sincere. I mean, they're trying to look their best. Look how moral they are. Look how good they're trying to be. Look how many scriptures they've read, mes- uh, memorized. Look at how they fast. I don't fast like, I don't fast at all. Look at how they pray. Look at the prayer meetings they go to. And God looks at it all and he says, that's dung. It repulses me. This is the sermon for the person who would say, I'll have a little bit of Jesus and I'll have a little bit of religion. Jesus and regulations. 
Jesus and ceremony. And Jesus says to you, that's death. There's a problem. And religious people know there's a problem. It's very simple. God is holy and righteous and true and you are not. You and I are broken and we're riddled with sin and condemnation and guilt. Here are the rules you have to obey. This is the holy day. These are the places that you have to go. Here's the place where we have a church building. Here's the only person that you can talk to if you want to get to God. Here are the words that you have to use if you want to pray. Here's the extra book that you have to read. And there's no salvation in any of that. And Jesus looks at them now with tremendous compassion. Tremendous compassion. Oh, how I longed to take you under my wing. He says, and then they start talking about these prophets. We wouldn't have killed the prophets. Those past generations who persecuted them. We wouldn't have done that. Pride. And Jesus says, religion doesn't change. Doesn't matter the location, the place, the time, the generation. It causes hatred and division and nastiness. It doesn't matter what generation it is. This generation or the last generation or a future generation that have yet to come, who will invent their, they will invent their own version of their own little religion. All of it is empty. Jesus says, you're all hypocrites. That's what you're doing. It's hypocritical. It's two-faced. And so Jesus says, I know what the problem is, and so I'm going to bring you the solution. I will send my son when you're still a hypocrite. I will send my son when you're dead. You're still dead. You're dead right now. I'll send my son in the context of you being dead. I will send my son in the midst of you being a rancid sinner. That's where I'll send my son into. And having lived a perfect life, he will die on a cross in your place and he will shed innocent blood and I will count your sins in the context of his innocent blood that, would, that has been shed and I will call you forgiven and, and accepted by anyone who trusts in that simple act that was done on your behalf. And scripture says, I am a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I have been adopted into his family. I've been adopted into his family not because of anything that I've done or any image that I have or look down my nose at anybody or any meetings that I've gone to or extra books that I've read or Greek or, or, or Hebrew or, or any of that stuff, Lord. Here's what I am. I am a child of God because of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. So I don't need religion anymore. It stinks. I don't, I, there's no condemnation for me. I don't need religion anymore. I mean this. I don't care where you go to church. In a loving way, I mean that. I don't care what version of the Bible you read. I don't care what you call yourself. Church, it's all about Jesus. He is God's answer to my problem and my brokenness that I could not solve. But I can hear it in people's minds already. But Pastor Alan, don't you care about, you know, us trying to be holy? Don't you care about sin? Don't you care about that we need to change. Change only happens in people's life when you encounter Jesus Christ. That's it. There's no other way. All the other change is change for other people to notice, for somebody to tell me that I'm okay, 
Real change only happens when you encounter Jesus. He is the one that leads me and guides me. I become a different person because he's living in me, bringing me into truth. When Jesus is in my life, I begin to change and I will not walk one inch with religion. I'm done with it. I've walked with it for too many years of my life and this church will not walk one inch with religion. They're asking Jesus to compromise one inch with religion. There's no place for religion in this church. These buildings that we have, we can buy and sell these buildings tomorrow. We can give it to the poor. They don't matter at all. We can give them, we are free. We can meet in each other's homes and we can serve God. We're not doing anything with man-made religions. I'm not wearing a suit and a tie or a collar, and there's nothing wrong with a suit and a tie. There's nothing wrong with those things. But I stand in front of you the way that I am because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. I wash my hands. Or I have to behave myself. Or I have to be like somebody else. Or I have to obey this rule or obey that rule. I am what I am because of the grace of God. This is a relentless sermon. Some of you are worried that if you take God seriously, you have to become religious and you know exactly what that looks like and it doesn't appeal to you. And Jesus is letting you off the hook. He's like, no, you don't, I don't want you to become that. That's not my kingdom. Some of you are religious people. Religion's all over you. You just are. And not only that, you're still holding on to religion. Sometimes we know it and sometimes we don't know it. We put up walls. We look down our noses at people. You're not as spiritual as me. You're not as holy as me. You need to study more. You need to pray more. That group isn't as good as our group. They don't know the scriptures the way that we know the scriptures. I am so glad that all of that nonsense is gone. It's gone. I simply stand in front of you today grateful for the shed blood of Jesus Christ over my life. That's it. I'll tell you who we're going to keep talking about. (laughs) I'm just going to keep talking about Jesus. That's it. Like we're just going to keep studying Jesus. We're going to keep talking about Jesus. We're going to keep praising Jesus. We're going to keep reading about Jesus. We're going to keep sharing about Jesus. And if we fall out with each other, we'll just forgive each other and we'll go back to Jesus. How about that? I think that's a great plan. All of it. All of it about Jesus. He is the center. He is the start. He is the finish. He is everything through the middle. He's me helping me every step of the way on the journey. So we need to pray. Because some of you are holding on to condemnation and fear and shame. And you're holding on to religion. And I want to invite you right now, in this moment, to say, God, forgive me for that. And he has for you his acceptance and his love. God, help us to drop religion and reach out simply to the person of Jesus Christ, the one who can set us free from bondage and guilt. God is calling you right now to move beyond rules and regulations, to experience the love of Jesus, to experience the merit of his shed blood for you. Some of you keep slipping back into religion. It seems so right. 
And I speak this over you in the name of Jesus. God is looking to make you a friend of sinners. A friend of people who are filled with rebellion. They're lost. A friend of people that others would walk past and judge, but not you. So God, I pray right now that you would lift religion off of us in the name of Jesus Christ. That we would see people the way God sees people. And so, Father, right now we respond to you in worship. We have no confusion about you, who you are. We have come to worship Jesus. Let's stand.